Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather here this morning to be fed and nurtured by your word. And we pray that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts on this important topic of unanswered prayer. Uh, that we would be humbled, uh, that we'd submit ourselves to you, uh, that we'd resist the devil and all temptation. And that we would come near to you knowing full will that you draw near to us. Uh, we pray this in the precious name of your Son. Amen. Please be seated and good morning again. Uh, you should have a, an outline, a preaching outline. Uh, it should have been handed to you at the door. If it wasn't, I apologise. And of course, the, the uh, bulletin for January. Uh, sometimes our core values are communicated in that bulletin. And one of our core values, of course, is prayer. So often we say and remind each other that it's biblical preaching, but prayer is also one of our core values. And as we enter a new year, I wonder how you get on with the subject of unanswered prayer. Uh, how did you go in 2018 with prayers being answered? Uh, maybe you have a list of prayers that were answered and a, a list of prayers that were not Maybe you've never thought about it. Uh, maybe that's all you've thought about, that you have a, a big hang-up now because of your long list of unanswered prayers. I mean, have a think. If there is an almighty God, why didn't he answer your prayers? And it's not an insignificant pastoral issue. Uh, when the same-sex marriage bill was passed, at the end of last year, social media became alive with cynical comments like, do you still believe God answers your prayers? Ha, ha, ha. How do you go with that? Uh, Richard Dawkins is a popular atheist. Uh, he gives lots of space to this very topic in his book, The God Delusion. Uh, I don't recommend it. I think it's a spiteful piece of business. Uh, he attacks and mocks Christians, uh, particularly on this specific topic. He even cites a scientific study on prayer. goes very quickly like this. There are three patients in a hospital. They all had a similar condition. One patient was knowingly prayed for. Another patient prayed for but wasn't told. And the last one not prayed for at all. And the outcome of this scientific study were demonstrated only marginal differences across the three patients. And so Dawkins has jumped on this one study uh, and, and come up with a scientific conclusion that science has definitively demonstrated that prayer makes no difference. How do you go with that? Good, you're shaking your head. Well, it's a bit shallow, isn't it? Uh, Dawkins then even cites another person, Francis Galton, uh, from the 1870s, wrote a paper for Oxford. Uh, this one makes me laugh. Again, the ineffectiveness of prayer was proven scientifically way back then. Galton noted that every Sunday in churches throughout Britain, entire congregations prayed publicly for the health of the royal family. And we do that, don't we? Every Sunday. And so the conclusion was that shouldn't they 
therefore be unusually fit compared to the rest of us. <laughs> he looked into it, and scientifically, again, he has pages and pages of evidence that he believes purports to no statistical difference. Dawkins goes on and says that if prayer is really effective, it would be so measurable that Christians should get cheaper health insurance and cheaper property insurance. In fact, you'd never think they'd have any need for it. Well, this has really got a burr in your saddle. This is delightful. Uh, is prayer really effective? So this is his argument and his conclusion, along with other atheists, of course, predictably, is that belief in God and belief in prayer is akin to madness. So how might we respond? Unanswered prayer is a thing for those outside of the church, but it's also a troublesome thing for those of us within the church. See, unanswered prayer is a significant pastoral challenge. You try sitting with somebody, struggling with suffering, or infertility, or singleness, or a long list of things. It can lead to cynicism, and weariness, and even unbelief. I cannot believe in a God that didn't give me what I wanted. It is deeply personal and it's painful and it's sometimes faith-wrecking. It can produce feelings of loneliness and abandonment from God. In some quarters, unanswered prayer is directly attributed to what some would claim to be a, a lack of faith. And so that burdens believers even more with doubts and inadequacy and even hopelessness. So it's a big issue. Uh, and then we have questions about consistency and scope uh, regarding prayers. You know, so why are some subjected to suffering and tragedy and death and not others? Why are some blessed with marriage or blessed with children? or blessed with healing, or blessed with a long life. But you know, I prayed my socks off for those things and I didn't get any of them. Or why are some things easy to pray for, yet cystic fibrosis and cerebral palsy and limb loss seem near impossible? So God's care and goodness is scrutinised. Of course, we know ever since Adam and the fall... Communication with God has been problematic. Yet believers long to hear God, don't we? And we long to hear answers to our prayers in visible, concrete and quantifiable ways. So here are some introductory answers. I hope you've got your outline, you'll need that. Uh, the first point is, I think we need to apply wisdom when we pray. We need to... Uh, Apply wisdom from experience. You've got to look at the world around you. Have a look at the world around you and see the way the world works. For example, sometimes prayer goes unanswered because it's contradictory. Well, what do I mean? Well, for example, if ten people pray to get the same job, the pastor might be busy with nine people who need to come to terms with unanswered prayer, right? That's pretty easy, isn't it? The grazier will pray for rain... Won't they? Well, at harvest time, the crop farmer does not. No, he wants to bring his harvest in. And so the weather patterns 
Even amongst farmers, uh, the weather patterns they pray for are contradictory. How often we forget that Jesus affirms the rain falls on the good and the wicked, Matthew 5. My favourite example is war. What about if two Christian armies go to war against each other, someone's prayers assumably will not be answered to their satisfaction, you'd think. And you think, well, when on earth did this happen? Well, during the American Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, he said this, both read the same Bible and both pray to the same God, each invokes God's aid against the other. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. Conclusion, the Almighty has his own purposes. Sometimes prayer goes unanswered because it's frivolous and vacuous. Asking for good weather just for the sake of a family picnic when the nation in the midst of a severe drought trivialises prayer, I think, and trivialises God. Praying for high essay marks is pointless if the essay doesn't answer the question. Praying for taller height or straighter teeth or praying against looming hair loss would be like praying for a different family of origin or a different country of birth. So wisdom is a thing, isn't it? But we need to push wisdom a little further. Imagine the impact of God answering every, every possible prayer. Do you think it would be, it'd be chaos, wouldn't it? Can you imagine it? Uh, I think it's a blessing that he doesn't. And so we begin to see the issue here, don't we? We need to apply wisdom to our prayer life, but we also need to think about this issue with our Bibles open. In fact, there are many stories in the Bible where specific prayer requests have been outrightly denied by God. Moses is one example. Uh, He pleaded with God to cross the Jordan and enter the Promised Land uh, with his people, but God had answered Moses' prayers before, but not this one. Moses was allowed to see the land, but he was not allowed to enter it. Why? Because of what is recorded in Deuteronomy 32. It says there in verses 48 to 52 that Moses broke faith with God in the presence of Israel. God said to Moses, you did not uphold my holiness among my people. Now, I've been to the top of Mount Nebo where Moses is said to have seen the promised land and you get a spectacular view, absolutely. But I can tell you seeing it from a distance is not the same as going into the place. And so as we look at Moses, we remember Adam and Eve who were denied access to the garden. And so Moses, Israel's leader, will miss out on God's promised land, God's garden, such as the seriousness of sin. His prayer went unanswered. Can you imagine if 40 years in a desert, you can see the finish line, you are so close. Yet God said no. And maybe we want to sympathise with Moses here, but maybe that's our blindness to the seriousness of sin also. You cannot play fast and loose with a holy God. God will not be taken for granted. And this is a lesson we're supposed to learn. But King David is another. That 
passage we heard Kerry read out for us. It was a long one. But do you recall David spent a week fasting and praying that his son would not die in 2 Samuel 12? He prayed and prayed and prayed. And then in verse 18, we were told the child died. What a tragedy. Why? Well, it's kind of like Adam and Eve, isn't it? Did you notice the words of verse 7 and 8? Nathan said to David, you're, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king of Israel. You're the king. I delivered you from the enemy. I gave you your master's house to you and their wives. I gave you Israel. I gave you everything. And if all this had, not, had been too little, I would have given you more. See it? Adam and Eve lack nothing in the garden. Here is David, king of Israel. Does he lack anything? No, and if he did, he could have asked for it. A God who wants to bless and bless. And David, like Adam and Eve, well, what does he want to do? He wants to take and take that which isn't his to take. Except here, David takes a husband's life and then he takes that same husband's wife. Verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah with a sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah to be your own. Do you see the problem there? When you despise the word of the Lord, verse 9, verse 10 goes on to say that you're despising God himself. It's to live with no regard for God's commandments. It's to live like they don't matter. And the huge implication is that when we live like that, we're saying God himself doesn't matter. To despise God's word is to despise God himself. It says it plainly there. And so the consequence for David, verse 11, is God brings calamity and judgment. The wages of sin is death. And under the law, David should have been stoned to death for adultery. But it's clear the baby dies as a substitute for David's sin. Remind you of anyone? But it's only a shadow. It's only a shadow for the death of this son will forecast the eventual spiritual collapse of Israel, I think. Israel will resemble a spiritual corpse. Israel will sin and rebel so terribly that at one stage God is said to cover himself in a cloud so that their prayers for help don't get through. Lamentations 3.44 God is so beside himself, he will literally block his ears, such as their sin and rebellion. Now what do you think about answered prayer now? Are you feeling a bit uneasy? Can we see a pattern? 
Uh, all those verses in your outline, uh, maybe there are 10, 15 verses from Proverbs 66, Isaiah 59, Ezekiel 14. They're all very specifically saying God does not listen to the prayer of a person who cherishes sin in their heart. Or Zechariah 7, uh, God will not listen to the prayer of a person who is hard-hearted or obstinate towards God. Or Proverbs 28, uh, disregards holy, God's holy law. Micah 3, hates good, loves evil. Proverbs 21, ignores the poor. That's instructive. Ezekiel 8, engages in corrupt worship. Matthew 6, if you superficially pray just to impress. Or Mark 11, if you ask God for forgiveness, yet you yourself are unforgiving, God isn't going to listen to your prayers. The overwhelming pattern is sin. It's a barrier and it's a problem for Adam and it's a problem for Moses and for David and Israel and of course it's a pattern for us. All of these biblical examples serve as a reminder that prayer, prayer is not the means of turning on God's favour like a tap. Irrespective of our attitude or behaviour towards God. See, here's a news flash we all need to hear and I need to be reminded of as well. God is not a genie. God is not a genie who sits up in heaven waiting to jump at every one of our whims and fancies, waiting for us to rub the lamp so he can do our bidding. God is not like the benevolent grandfather either. You know, the grandparent picture that's the soft touch that gives the grandkiddies everything they ask for. And the parents are like, oh, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Some people think God is just like that. Where he can be bargained with or manipulated. Such prayers portray an ignorance towards God. And they reveal the corruption of the human heart stained by sin and self-interest and self-love. Our lack of self-awareness, my lack of self-awareness before our holy creator God, I find it incredible, even just for me personally. God is not indifferent about our sin. And so it is a wonder to some degree that he answers any of our prayers. And so take this as an encouragement now. See, we show you the text. What does it say? What does it mean? What do we do with it? What do we do with this that we've just talked about? Can I say that if there's any prevailing sin in your life right now, the great encouragement is to repent and to turn away from it. And seek forgiveness from God. See that God is in the heart business. How's your heart? It's easy to ask that on a Sunday morning. How's your heart going to be on Monday? When it's going to be 40 degrees, probably 50 in Bogabri. <laughs> when you're under pressure and when you're stressed and you're tired and narky. And maybe you're still an English citizen and you've lost the cricket again. How are you going to be? How's your heart before God? 
Our behaviour, our life as an expression of love for God is not without significance. And this is observed by the Apostle John who wrote, we receive from him, God, anything we ask, big deal. Why? Because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. Do you see it? Every facet of life, including how we treat those around us, has a bearing on our relationship with God. All right, here's the last thing. The last thing is Psalm 115, verse 3. We'll read this next week. It says that God sits on his throne and does what he likes. And so Abraham Lincoln is a wise man. The Almighty has his own purposes. God has a plan and we don't get to know all the ins and outs of God's plan and that should humble us. He chooses for us things that we would never choose for ourselves. And so Moses, Job, Jeremiah, Jonah, Elijah, they all had something in common. They all asked God to die before their time. And all of their prayers went unanswered. God did not listen to their prayer. God did it according to his own timetable. They died. Or imagine being Mary or Zechariah. You remember the Luke's Gospel, those songs of salvation that Mary sings? We sang, tell out my soul. Or Zechariah sings about John the Baptist, his son. How empty they must have felt as Mary witnessed her son executed by the very rulers she hoped her son would vanquish. Ah, yeah, maybe. How many of Paul's prayers for respective churches fell short of the ideal? Paul himself prayed three times for the removal of a thorn from his flesh, 2 Corinthians. And like Mary and Paul, we don't know the ins and outs of God's plan, but God does and he calls us to trust him. Was Jesus exempt from unanswered prayer? He prayed, take this cup from me, and the cup was never taken away, was it? That cup of God's wrath and anger. He drank it full. But Jesus does what Moses and David failed to do. What does Jesus pray? In that moment where he says, take this cup from me, he also prays, my father, if it is possible, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but but your will. Jesus knows his Father sits on the throne and does as he wills. God the Father sets the terms. Jesus, who lived in perfect, loving obedience to the Father. Jesus, who was the one true worshipper. Jesus, the one who the disciples always found praying morning and night. Jesus, whose trust in the Father is complete even to the point of death. Doesn't treat his father like a genie, even though the disciples were tempted to. Doesn't treat his father like a benevolent granddaddy, but demonstrates what we all need, a healthy knowledge of God. We need that when we pray, and we need a robust trust in his good purposes. And Jesus just doesn't know this stuff in his head, but he goes out and lives it, even at great cost, 
Even when God asks him for everything he has, because of his infinite love for his father and because of his infinite love for you, he'll die on a cross where this sin of Adam and Moses and David and yours and mine, that sin we've talked about this morning, will be paid. Jesus will consistently pray God-centred prayers. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And here at his, uh, the last moment before his death, he is praying of all things. Father, not my wants, not my agenda. Father, not my will, but yours. Do you pray like that? We should pray like that. When you pray to God, are your petitions about what you want from God or are they about what the Father wants from you? Are you praying and living in submission to the Heavenly Father who loves you like Jesus did? I mean, here's an example. Dear God, help me to love you more with all my heart, soul, strength and mind and help me to love others more. Here's a great encouragement as we start the new year. Do you want a richer prayer life? Well, learn the lessons from the world around you. True. But get to know God better. And it's a choice of being less ignorant about God and less ignorant about our sin. And as we pray, may we all learn, me included, may we all learn submission, may we learn to trust the Father as Jesus himself did, may we entrust ourselves to his good purposes, that whatever we're going through isn't for nothing, but through it somehow God will bless us richly and ultimately his name be praised. But you know, this is only part one. This is only part one of our discussion because on the other hand, Jesus makes it pretty clear there's absolutely no such thing as unanswered prayer. Really? I thought we just spent the past 20 minutes talking about unanswered prayer. Jesus says there's no such thing. But if you want to hear about that, you'll have to come to church next week. Amen. Amen.